So what do you think about this idea about compassion, Cam? What do you think about it? Do you, yeah. So interesting, you know, Michelle, that you ask, and, and it has to come as a question because funnily so, we're, we're relearning what compassion is in principle before yeah. we are understanding what it is in, in action, in experience, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Um, I had the conversation yesterday with a bunch of uh, executives at a, a pretty prestigious organization, and they were asking me about how do we teach our leaders uh, how to have conversations with their employees if they sense they're struggling, they said, what are the prerequisites? What do we need to know? How do, how do we train these people so that they're empowered to have those conversations? And I said, it comes down to compassion. It really mm-hmm. just comes down to extending your heart, extending your ears, listening to them, and just being present with them. We're, oftentimes, we're overthinking it. And so it was, it was a very interesting reflection of how analytical and how uh, how far we've moved away from just the human experience of, of, of being ourselves and extending our heart. I know. Yeah. Right? You know, the other day um, I was dropping my kid to the bus and she always goes to the back. And uh, when she goes, she's the second kid from the window. And when she comes back, she gets the window seat. So I asked her, I said, how does this work? You know, do you guys decide? Do you guys have a chat? She's like, no, mama. When when I go, I sit beside this girl and she's my friend, but we don't know their names. <laughs> and uh, when I come back, she's already sitting there. But when she sees me, she moves and lets me sit in. And I'm like, hmm, isn't that amazing? Today as adults, we we have to speak up and we have to say, hey, that's not fair. Oh, hey, can we... You know, can we switch? But kids, and I didn't teach her that specifically, they innately know how to do it. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, that's so sweet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're, they're like the closest thing to pure, right? <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. And honestly, it's like, um, even when I am struggling with something myself, I always say, am I in my head? Or am I coming from my heart, you know, and I have to just stop for a minute and just say, if I just close my eyes and just feel with my heart, I will get the answer instead of staying up here in my mind where things get so jumbled and rationale comes in and history of experiences plays into it. It's so powerful to just get present. And I love, I I love the meditation work you do because I know that that has helped me tremendously. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. You know, everybody tuning in, welcome to Say More. We haven't forgotten to have the introduction. This is Kim, your host. And today I have with me the very lovely Michelle Dickinson, all the way from UK. Michelle and I met last year on Zoom for an event. Uh, It was mental health in the workplace for men. And uh, Michelle has been working in this space for a very long time. She right now takes care of mental health in in the massive big biggest companies multinationals and a lot of work in that area you can even catch her on her podcast on linkedin where she has these real amazing conversations with people in you know that have been through the path that have healed that are also leading other groups on supporting men especially and workplace environment on mental health so welcome michelle to say more 
<laughs> Thank you for having me, my dear. <laughs> it is truly a pleasure. Yes. Michelle, coming to what you spoke about, you know, compassion and why um, sometimes you're even asked that, okay, what does it take to be supportive of people at work? I have a question and that could be like devil's advocate. I'm going to step out of being an energy healer here. Sometimes in, in the workplace dynamic, you know, when, when someone is moving from the head space to the heart space, maybe there is a fear, there is this understanding that, you know what, if I go full heart, am I going to be taken advantage of? Yeah. Yeah. yeah what do you do? What do you suggest? So it's such a good question. Vulnerability in the workplace is so, is such a tender spot. And it, it really does say a lot about the culture and the psychological safety in the culture. And, and I always say, you know, organizations ask me, you know, well, how do we start this conversation? And I say, turn up the volume of mental health and what you're already doing. You have to do the work to condition the environment. So such that it's not awkward when people start to talk about, you know, mental health imbalances or, or there's an opportunity for them to be vulnerable in a space that is sterile. So I think that there's, there's opportunity to, to really highlight what companies are already doing, but then um, what are leaders doing to cultivate that trust, right? It's an ongoing garden that needs to be tended. That relationship between leader and employee, that trust has to be built and has to be constantly nurtured so that when there is a challenge that arises, there is no hesitation to say, I'm struggling and I need a day for myself without embarrassment, without fear of judgment, without being perceived as weak, like you're saying. Right. Because a lot of times people would say that I don't want to talk about it because I have the possibility of a promotion coming up. Or somebody can use my mental health phase and say, you know, she's not in a fit phase because a lot of times people have, uh, we've all been conditioned and we've seen it that somebody who's having a a mental health situation is not fit. They're not sane. Mm -hmm. And how, how does one, you know, navigate through that and say, it's okay to say I'm not okay. You know, if I was a leader, I would... I would want someone who is that self-aware and that um, that self-aware and that responsible about their mental health, that they acknowledge they have a challenge. How many people have we worked with? At least I can speak to the 19 years I was in the corporate world, the people next to me that probably were struggling. And instead of addressing it, they, they were lashing out. They were very unprofessional. So I think it takes a special type of person to even acknowledge when they're struggling to get the support they need versus pretending that you're tough and you're really not. And and your behavior is demonstrating that you're not, you know, all together. Um, Mm. And so I, I, there's so much I could say about that because, you know, I personally had a boss who uh, told me I wasn't bubbly and upbeat. Uh, six months after I told her I was diagnosed with depression. I mean, mm. the, these are the instances where, you know, you, you would want your employee to be vulnerable and tell you what they're dealing with. So you could support them. So you could get the best out of them. Um, you know, just because someone has a mental health challenge, this is something else we have to change. It doesn't make them less than 
it makes, it makes them, um, a unique contributor to their position, right? Like you take, you take someone, for example, with, uh, autism or is it Asperger's, they are incredibly analytical. Why not harness the strengths they have? You know, I mean, so when we, we need to stop thinking that a mental health challenge is a limitation and, and support people in getting the health, the health, um, that they, that they want back the joy that they want back through care and, and, you know, give them opportunities to make the contribution that they can make, you know, and don't hold them back. That's my, that's my perspective. That's amazing because when you started off, you said that to have self-awareness, but even if the, you know, a manager or colleague or the HR has awareness to understand that lashing out, you know, that overly uh, strong behavior is not a behavior, but is it's a protection mechanism that someone is using or, you know, the displacement, the projection, all of that is actually the cry for help. Yeah. You know, yep. so even if a person is not self-aware, but somebody within the organization, within the group has that awareness yeah. of, you know, these little signs here and there, that right. would probably mean that, you know, um, we're moving a step forward, moving probably 10 steps forward. Right. Don't fault them for their, their uh, being in tune with who they are. You know, I, I, I run, I come across all kinds of people in these kinds of conversations and some of them I get frustrated. Some of them I'm enlightened by, you know, um, the conversation about compassion yesterday is a perfect example, but there was this other conversation I have with a gentleman who he wanted to, uh, he wanted to work with me. And he said, you know, he said, you know, this mental health thing, he's like, I personally, I have never had a problem. You know, I just power through. I just, I just keep going. He's like, I don't have a mental health issue. He's like, but other people, I know they need help. And I was like, oh my goodness, like this guy thinks it's about how tough you can be to power through. Oh, I was like, wow. we have to have a conversation. We have to have a conversation because for him to think it is a matter of the weak versus the strong, you know, that is how he leads that is how he shows up in the world. Um, that is, that, that is what he's doing for his family, for, yeah. you know, his children, if he has any, for yeah. the people around him, the people of influence that he has. Yeah. Oh my God. That is, that is such a powerful statement and realization that you brought, because I think that is where anxiety kicks in, right, Michelle, because we grow up when, when we are young girls or boys, and then we become teens and we keep hearing, you're a big girl now, behave yourself. Don't be so, you know, sensitive, grow up, be ready, for, you know, take it head on. That that's the only messaging that comes out that you got to be strong, that if someone is, you know, um, things are pulling you down, you don't allow them to pull you. Yes, you don't. But then that's a different conversation of how you deal it and how you come out of it rather than every um, way to deal things through right. is through powering up. Right. You know, or when people say that you're an adult now. Grow up. Grow that's up. what they, they actually yeah. mean. Grow up. Don't cry over it. Move on and blah, blah, all of that. Right. Oh, my right. God. That is... That is right. an interesting job. But, but that goes to show you, we, that goes to show you, Kim, that that mentality still exists. As much as we were saying before we came on, uh, before we started talking um, live, 
we were talking about how in how the we feel that the consciousness of the world is is elevating and people are more open to these kinds of conversations yet the reality is you still have people in leadership roles who 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 have that mentality around around this and that's how they are are leading in the world and it's just such an opportunity to um you know enlighten them share with them maybe have them see a different perspective so yeah as much as we're making progress we still have we still have some work to do that's true you know um for the longest time i think people have had this impression of mental health as the lack of depression the lack of panic attacks the lack of you know those massive suicidal thoughts but nobody is looking at mental health as fitness right. as you know the way you would think right. the way you would process the way you make decisions right. the way you you know process and make sense of your emotions the way you look at your you know your physical you suddenly have this random pain area and you're like okay it's pain but you not don't have the awareness to go in and say that is there an emotional or an energetic tightness that is leading to a physical manifesting yes right it's so true it's so true i always am thinking that way i'm always when something physical goes wrong with my body i'm like okay what's really going on like I, I always stop myself. Like people think I'm crazy, but some, what if, if a friend says to me, I'm, I'm dealing with this. I'm like, Oh really? Well, let's look that up. <laughs> and they're like, what? I'm like, seriously, it's just an opportunity for us to get present to what else is going on. You know, we are so complex as human beings that there is always this connection between mind and body. You know, I I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's why just to say this, that's why I do the, um, mental health, I, I, my programs are more about preserving mental health, right? So they're rooted in some of the things that you teach, like meditation and gratitude and daily practices and visualization and, and things like that. Cause they, that's where we have the control versus when we hit the crisis and then we have to climb back. So all of, all of that I think is so important, but it all is rooted in self-awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what in your experience, you know, uh, Michelle has, will help someone begin cultivating the practice of self-awareness? You know, and this is such a good question because this is the first piece of the work that I do. And that is self-awareness that the the self-audit of your emotional well-being. You know, we're so busy in our day-to-day routines. We get up in the morning, we go about our lives. The only reason, you know, or, or we lay in bed and we reflect on the physical ailments, like, oh, my ankle still hurts. My back is still bothering me. We feel our body and we feel where we have discomfort, but we're not really checking in with our emotions and saying, well, oh, I feel, I'm not feeling really good today. I'm feeling down. Why do I feel down? And they don't, people aren't really reflecting. So I, the first step is, is we need to reflect on how we're doing. The self audit is so important because if we can catch ourselves at the point where we're just starting to feel bad, then we can reach into our toolbox and we can grab something and we can do something immediately to help ourselves feel better before we go down that rabbit hole and feel worse. So it really is about that first step. That is is very true. That's very amazing. In fact, in one of my posts, when I was writing about the A to Z benefits of meditation, A was awareness, you know, awareness 
felt awareness of why people behave the way they do because half of more than half of the time you know we're we're all functioning from our conditioning yeah and in that conditioning it could be a conditioning or a reaction to the conditioning of pain of trauma of hurt of uh, being abandoned of being neglected of being the middle child or being the younger child or being the elder child right in even if you go back to psychology all those different depending on chronologically where were you born that has an impact on personality mm-hmm. and that's proven that's like in the science books so when we have that awareness of other people and why someone behaves like that that changes things in a massive massive way you know michelle uh yesterday i was having a chat with one of my clients and uh we shifted the entire perception of why she felt people were jealous of her versus understanding that because she was growing so fast and doing so well what she portrayed as jealousy was actually just a place of um you know admiration but uh-huh. concealed in a place of that didn't come out as you know admiration they wanted to be her but they couldn't be her and they couldn't tell her that so it got perceived as jealousy and it got projected as jealousy wow wow right? really that's amazing it's 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 amazing how we take something and we want to make it an absolute until we sit down and we have a conversation like that and we can un- unpack it and really get to the heart of it. Um, I, I say this all the time, you know, I've done so much work. I've done, you know, Landmark, I've done Tony Robbins and the whole idea that we, we create things in our minds and then we grab onto that as truth. It is not truth. It's what we think is truth. And, and to have a stimulating conversation to be able to reveal what really is at the heart of it is so powerful. You know, it is, right? Say more. How say more helps. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So let's go into a little bit of a backstory, you know. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you chose this path. How did you know that this was what, what you were meant to do? This was your place of joy. This was your place of impact. I didn't know it until a few years ago. That's what's so funny, you know. There's a saying, right, that there are two, the most important days of your life, the day you're born, the day you figure out why. I didn't figure out my why probably until I was 45 years old. <laughs> and um, so I was working in a corporate job. I was complete. I thought this is where I'm supposed to be. I'll retire into the sunset and have a, a nice retirement, whatever. Um, but what happened was somebody that I worked with heard my story, a story I never really spoke about. And that was that I grew up with a mother who had bipolar disorder and I played the role of a child caregiver. So I, I really cared for her for a large portion of my childhood, my young adult life and my adult life. And so she heard the story and she nominated to get me to give a TED talk. So I gave this TED talk about my mother and how it was just such an uncertain experience to love someone who was so unpredictable with the mania to the deep depressing lows. I never knew the mother I was going to get. So I told this story and the reaction, you know, this is the power of storytelling. People see threads of themselves or their lives in other people's stories. So I am such an advocate for tell your story because you don't know what that's going to open up. And the reaction was so amazing that I decided, you know what, I'm going to write my memoir. And so I wrote my memoir about my life growing up with my mom, because I said, what if 
my story could humanize mental health and people could not fear someone with a mental illness, see that the people who have a mental illness are still the loving, beautiful people. They're not defined by their illness. Then I will maybe make a difference in the world. Well, I wrote the book, I released the book, and then like everything started to change. I, I started speaking more. I started helping people understand mental illness. Um, people were coming to me and talking to me. And I said, I think that this is it. This is what I should be doing. And seren- mm-hmm. serendipitously, my position in my, in my corporate company was eliminated through a restructuring. So I lost my job and I was at this turning point and said, what do I do? Do I go back into another corporate job or do I follow my heart and my passion and just go for it and try to make a difference in the world? And I chose to create my company and do that. And so now I get to work with companies to really teach compassion in the workplace and, and empower employees with resiliency and um, have everyone have a better relationship to the brain. Oh my God, I did not know the story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you so much for sharing it. You know, two things that stood out for me in in what you shared is every episode, Michelle, every episode that I have recorded, every conversation that I've had that is not recorded, that downtime, that supposed low moment in the life of losing a job, losing a business, breaking up, you know, having everything and still feeling nothing, was the beginning point of every successful journey, was the beginning point of everyone finding their purpose. You know, that is every episode that gets reinforced that, hey guys, seriously guys, if you're listening and you feel lost and you feel job is probably, you know, I'm losing, about to lose my job, be made redundant or tough decisions, that is just the opportunity to again, realign, find yourself, find your purpose and walk your path. You know, um, Michelle, I have a question to ask. And, you know, um, I, I had this, this theory that I'm working with and testing with on bipolar. Now, I remember bipolar as uh, everything I learned in psychology when I was back in college. But from an energetic perspective, um, I have the, the theory, the inclination to feel that when, when the energy is kind of not protected, right? We don't know what's coming, what's going, what's getting triggered from inside, that that imbalance, that close and open of the shielding from the aura, that kind of affects how somebody would maintain a stable emotional field. Do you think, do you resonate with that? Does that make sense to you? It does. It absolutely does. I mean, my mom, my mom would have a thought and that would, that would spiral her. It would just spiral her. And it was a thought. It was a thought, right? She had a a paranoia thought that somebody was coming into her dining room and taking her China. And that would put her into this spiral. And, 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 but five minutes before she was perfectly fine, you know? And so that, I mean, so when I reflect on the power of that, that, um, you know, her inability to control that, her, the thoughts that just would just devour her basically. Um, absolutely. I, I, it's, it's, it's amazing. It it absolutely was amazing when I think back and and remember what that was like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 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 thank you for sharing that. I know that's not easy. Um, in the workplace, when you, you work with people so closely and you, you know, 
kind of you're pushing a different uh, view, you're pushing a different narrative of how to look at mental health, how to look at mental uh, preservation. What are the biggest difficulties that you sometimes might face? You know, what are the biggest uh, belief systems that you have to break through? Yeah, it's so funny because I was I was looking at your um, I was looking at your profile before just and I was like, I, I think I need to work with you <laughs> because one of the biggest things is so I, I, I try to get people to recognize how they start their day has everything to do with how well they can navigate stress, right? Their morning routine, whatever that looks like. And so I try to sort of serve up the vegetables meaning the meditation and the meditation people are so resistant to Well, I tried it and I had, I had thoughts and thoughts were just coming. And, you know, I, I try, I tried it like five times. I, it's not for me. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very interesting because I think one of the biggest challenges I have is to get them to experience the up, the, the total peacefulness of a meditation so that they want more. Right. And so what I do is I share Deepak Chopra's three minute meditation, right? Because you, you don't have to close your eyes. You can literally just be there to give them a taste of what that is like, because if they get a taste of it, then maybe they're going to, maybe they're going to adopt it. So for me, the biggest hurdle is getting them to taste it, getting them to see how it feels and know that that's a place they can go to when they're just their cortisol levels are through the roof. They're completely overwhelmed. They have a a sanctuary that they can go to a respite. So I think that that's one of the biggest hurdles is I hear over and over. I can't do it. It's not for me. I tried it and I still have thoughts. You know what? It's normal. (laughs) And it's good. I'm so glad, you know, I just love how these conversations go because we don't plan, we don't script it and it just leads in a beautiful conversation. You know, in one of my posts, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. I even wrote it in one of the magazines here that the biggest myth, one of the biggest myths of meditation is that you're going to close your eyes and you're going to go into zoop blank. (laughs) That's not what it is. If, If your thoughts are racing, that's a good sign. That's a good sign because when you're shutting your eyes, you're allowing your thoughts to talk back to you. So when your thoughts are racing, it's just your subconscious or, you know, your layered conscious telling you that, hey, buddy, you've not finished this and you've got some unfinished business with this lady, this man, with this friend, with this, you know, whatever taxi guy that you, you know, there was this exchange of energy that wasn't nice so they're lingering in the back of your mind you got to let it go so all of that when your thoughts are throwing it back to you that is meditation that is you allowing your mind to talk back to you and and I think that you know just like mental health that is the biggest misconception when everyone thinks of meditation we're thinking of an orange robe and the Himalayas (laughs) But now you can be happily sitting, I don't know, right beside the bar and have a meditative morning. And that's absolutely okay. There's no issues there. You can be sitting in your corporate suit or you could be sitting in, you know, an Indian sari for all you want or the, or a bikini and still do meditation. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But you know, these, the corporate people that I, that I often you know, interact with are very, um, they, they, they're analytical. They want to know how is this going to benefit me? So I try really hard to remind them of the compounding effects. When you do this regularly, there are compounding effects. Trust me. 
So do you ever, I mean, I, I would imagine that that's something that you're trying to get people to realize as well with the beauty of it, you know, Michelle, and this, this is something I was chatting with uh, somebody just not too far away that meditation has become such a cool thing right now that so often um, it's important to recognize who's the right teacher for you. The reason being it's that meditation is not about saying, all right, now close your eyes and come with me. You know, everyone, many people are pulling off a script and just, you know, slowing down their pace and going really nice, you know, with the voice. But that's not what a meditation teacher does. As the teacher, we're expected to handle your energy, to access an element of your soul and say, come, calm down, to access your brain waves and ensure that even if you're not able to follow through as a teacher, I can lower that, you know, that segment for you, pull it down to a state so that whether you're with me, you've not practiced your first experience, you're disturbed, you're distracted. As a teacher, I can pull you to that state, bring you to the deepest level of your mind and have the benefit of it. Mm -hmm. Now, when people experience meditation in that way, they're like, wow, I didn't feel a thing. I don't remember what was I worried about because they've gone into the space of uh, the depth of their own body, the depth of their own mind, because not because they've practiced it enough, but because somebody's able to kind of hand the whole, but their energy and their mind waves, right? right. So that is one of the, the biggest um, massive difference in a meditation that people don't feel a thing and a meditation where you feel, oh my God, what just happened? That's right? Awesome. That's, awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, I, I guess I think about the average person and the magnitude of stress that they have in their lives. And, you know, and I always say to people, you will never be able to reduce the amount of stress that's coming at you. I mean, you might have a, a, a way to maybe reduce it a little bit, but stress is a part of life. And the only control we have is over ourselves. The only control we have is what we're doing to protect our mind space, what we're doing to, to you know, keep ourselves balanced because that out there, we have no control over. Mm, absolutely. Again, you know, it does come down back to the mindset. It comes back to perspective. Mm -hmm. Like I can look at the same thing and you can look at the same thing and we can both look at it very differently. Like just a couple of days ago, a friend of mine said, you know, I went to the store and I changed my SIM card and on the way back 30 minutes, I didn't have access to a phone. And I'm like, oh, how cool is that? <laughs> My reaction, how cool is that? That means you had silence. You had a moment. And he's like, no, 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 no. I realized that I need my phone. I'm going crazy. I was just thinking what could have happened. You know, if my wife wanted to reach me, if my kid wanted to reach me, if I was getting a call, I was missing a call from office. I'm like, 30 minutes. Big deal. I know. So, it, so that connected. was a terrible situation for right. him. But right. for me, it was like, how cool. So yeah. then in that, in that case, what he thought is stress for me was a blessing. Yeah. So then it yeah. might probably just be a matter of, you know, perception. It's a matter of your mindset. It's a matter of how you've trained your, like you said, awareness 
to say that okay everything that comes at me is it coming at me is it coming for me is it just passing along or do I have to absorb everything that's going on in the world right oh my gosh you said something before and I, I, I don't want to forget to say it, but you said, you know, and, and I love the saying that life is always happening for you, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's not happening to us. It's happening for us. So w- when you were telling your listeners that like, you know, dar- a dark point is a turning point for what's that what's yet to come that can be amazing. So I will tell you, I went to divorce court on a Monday in May And two days later is when I lost my job. So basically in one week, I lost my marriage and I lost my job. So that was really, that was like the the real low point. And now it's just been pure creation from that moment forward has been pure creation. And it hasn't been easy. I'm not going to say it's been easy. It's been, it's been hard, but my goodness, you're so right. When you say those dark moments lead to things, because now I'm so fulfilled in the work that I do. And I could have never seen what was possible before that, you know, life before that was very different for me than life now. So I just wanted to share that as well. Well, thank you. I'm sure it will serve somebody, right? Yeah. It always does. You know, yeah. I was uh, earlier having another chat in, in the morning recording. And uh, I told the lady, I said, these stories are so important because I remember growing up and watching Oprah. It used to come in the afternoon in India and I learned so many life lessons that hadn't happened to me yet. But at a later stage when it did happen, my mind had a memory that, hey, I heard this on, you know, the Oprah episode and maybe this is what I can use to navigate. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit plus something else, but that becomes information that becomes conditioning and the right right kind of conditioning right Right. and I think I think too there's a there's a piece about trust in in this whole conversation you know when we're in our lowest moments it's hard to trust it is hard to trust that stuff is unfolding for you you know if someone came up to me after I lost my my marriage and my job and said oh just trust everything's going to be okay I think I probably would have wanted to smack them (laughs) But it's in those moments when you don't know what is going to unfold that I, for me, I just went within, I went within, I meditated, I got quiet. I tried to start to listen to what my subconscious mind wanted me to hear. And I think, I think people need to realize that even if you don't see the whole stairwell, you have to trust and take the next step. Oh my God, that is that is a moment, everybody, that is so important. That's something you want to write down that all we want to do is take the next step. You don't need to see the entire staircase. Michelle, you're the third person to say this in eight recordings. <laughs> and I'm sure that is sound <laughs> information, right? Because every time, like you said, if somebody came and told you that this is good, something good is going to come out of, you know, uh, a marriage and a, a losing a marriage and losing a job at the same time, you obviously want to give them one tight slap. (laughs) (laughs) But if at that time someone says, you know what, let's just get you on your feet. Let's just get you a new uh, routine. You know, let's get you out on a Friday evening. Let's just take the next step of settling in and, you know, creating your new space, creating a new habit, creating a new life. Then it doesn't look so tough to look at and say, hey, it's going to get better. Yeah. And, and 
And probably that is what we need to say more about. That is what we need to tell people that when I'm low, like, like I tell my family that when I'm low, these are two, three things to do. Don't come and ask me stupid questions that what happened, tell me. I'm not going to tell you because mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening. I've got to figure out whose yeah. energy have I absorbed? Who do I need to cleanse myself? Or what, what triggered something within me? So sometimes the, you know, everything's going to be all right is the worst thing you can say. I know. <laughs> <Like> imagine. <laughs> and yeah. we, that's the only thing we say to support one another. I know, I know. I know it's true. It's true. And you know, it, it is, it is true. Everything, everything might not feel like it's going to be all right. And you know, the other thing that I realized too, even is who I surround myself by, you know, you're as an energy healer, you, you know, this, right? Like I have to seriously take inventory and say, I'm really low right now and I'm struggling. Are these people around me really helping me or are they hurt? Are they hurting me? You know? So I, I had to also do, do the reflection and say, who, who do I feel best when I'm around them, you know, and and who, who do I come away not feeling so good, you know? And so I know that when I was low, I needed to surround myself by people because I would have isolated myself. I actually, at that time was still dealing with depression and that's what we want to do. We want to isolate. We want to hide away. We don't want the world to see us. We don't want to engage in activities we love, but in reality, we really need to surround ourselves by people that love us. So I made it a point to surround myself with people and to surround myself with good energy people and pluck out the ones that weren't. <laughs> so that is that is so right. I think it was Mel Robbins or somebody years back. I I was listening to a TED talk or, or something on YouTube, and um, she says that you take a list and write down the number of people you meet in the day. You know your regulars, like your colleagues, your family, your neighbors, people you travel with. And put um, between a plus five to a minus five, give them a rating. And we're not rating them in a derogatory way. We're saying, what is the value that they're adding to your life? And not financial, not success, but how do they make you expand from your heart? And just like you said, you know, you did that reflection. Michelle, I realized that everybody that I was meeting to was a relationship where I was giving, where I was taking care and I was raising them up. And then when it was time for me to be raised up, it's not that they didn't want to, but they didn't know how. Didn't know how. Yeah. And then I was like, hey, I need a set of new friends. I need a set of friends that understand energy the way I do and probably more than me so I can depend on them to raise me up because I'm like hey I know energy healing and I'm going to heal you and I'm going around all the way with my friends colleagues family and when I'm like drained yes they don't know what to do right they don't know what to do right and uh, that was such an such an interesting activity to do because you know and I've got a recording of this I'm going to put it out on YouTube very soon like you said the your vibe attracts your tribe and how do you understand the vibe and then how do you understand the vibe of other people and how does that create your tribe right it's it's so interesting that when you start expanding um the physical reality the physical experiences and understand it from the energy aspect it just makes sense yeah oh absolutely yeah absolutely yeah i i totally get that it's funny one of my dearest friends is an energy healer 
it, it, it's, it's just, it's wild because, um, I just enjoy being around her. I enjoy her company. I feel great when I leave her and, uh, the same goes for her. And I'm like, you know, these energy healers, they're good people. Amazing. Technically, you know, everybody is an energy healer. They may not be a trained energy healer, but everybody uh-huh. is an energy healer. I mean, think about it. Right now, our conversation is healing. We're, we're exchanging energy of knowledge, of experience, of expertise to one another, and we're both feeling good about it. Yeah. yeah. If I would have had a conversation with someone that is not yet uh, experiencing what I am, the way you and I are, that would not feel like a high moment. No. So this is energy healing. It's just not trained energy healing. Okay. <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's what we do when, when we're with little kids and they're not feeling well and we just spend some time chatting with them rubbing their tummies or you know uh, playing with their hair that's energy healing mm-hmm. because you're sending in the intention of love and care and compassion and then they feel good that's yeah. what we have with with each other like you know we've never met in real life in yeah. the physical but we can reach out to other on LinkedIn each other on LinkedIn with such ease because there's something that says, hey, it's a good connection. Hey, it's a good feeling when we chat, when we exchange, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That is energy healing right there. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I'd love, I'd love, Michelle, that, you know, one of my, my missions is to have every office, every home, every school, one group in each of these places where one person understands and knows how to use energy. Because the minute we do that, there's a lot more that gets done because energy can permeate through the different levels of consciousness, can help someone have better understanding of their mind. And then because of that, it helps them move into understanding their body. You know, you spoke about self-awareness and how important it is. Energy can enable that. Energy can, you know, uh, literally go through, intersect all the logical, analytical, all of it, and say that, hey, here I am. Because that was one of the biggest things. I mean, that was the reason that, that I did what I did. You know, I've been in, like yourself, in corporate for 16, 17 years. And I used to be in operations and analytical, logical numbers. And then I went to energy world and everything was fluid mm-hmm. and flow and, you know, uh, not really tangible in a number way. And I was like, okay, Here's the problem because I have friends from energy world and then I have friends from corporate world. And every time I'd be with each of them, I had to change my language. I had to change a segment of my persona. I'm like, this is odd, you know? And that is when I think I found my calling that this part of my life was there to serve me as much as this energy part of my life is. And that's the bridge I want to create. I want to create the the benefits of energy the benefits of mind but in a language that is that is understandable to someone like me that came from a very analytical world yeah because yeah. it exists we like it or not yeah and that's how that's how we have to reach people we have to reach them where they are and and speak to them the way that they 
will hear it. You know, it's so important how people hear information versus how much they are receptive to it. You know, if it's in a different, I don't know, I, I get people, you know, immediately go, oh, that's woo woo, you know? And so you have to sort of like, you have to make sure that you try to meet them. That's why I try to just, you know, bring in some of the data and the science to, to get them to pay attention and then sort of like then feed the vegetables on, on the down low, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of those things, give them what they want, but then um, also feed them what they need. And that's so important. Love yeah. that. Give them what they want, but feed them what they need. That is beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah. 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 Good. Then let me ask you, you know, Michelle, in uh, one part of it that you mentioned was the limiting beliefs that you had to go through is the analytics, the, the analytical thinking, the, uh, the block of, you know, if I don't see the science behind it, how do I feel it? What happens when people actually jump on board and say, you know what, Michelle, do your thing and we're just going to follow? How do they respond to it then when they've experienced oh, the effect amazing. of it's amazing. You know, you know, the students in the class that do the three minute meditation and then they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Because I, you know, it's, and, and that, and they're vocal about it. There, there's no shame. Like they'll be like, oh my, that was amazing. I'm doing that every day, every day. I'm going to do that. I go, oh, well, there's a whole world of meditations out there. <laughs> it doesn't just stop here. But, um, but that's exciting. It, but it also tells me society's ready our world is ready. People are ready. You know, I have, um, years ago I did yoga and this is probably for you. It's normal. But for me years ago, I did yoga. I was like, Oh, this is so, this is so out there. I can't do it. And then recently I met this guy, his name is Artie and Artie was like telling me about Yogananda and he's like educating me on, on yoga and how, you know, how it changed his life. Um, and so it was the typical when the student is ready, the teacher appears. So he reintroduces me to this concept of yoga and now I'm addicted to it. I love it. And my body is changing just because I'm going regularly. And, and so I'm excited about it, but he showed up for me at a time when I was ready. And I think when I show up for people in the corporate space, I might not get them all. I might not get them all. I might get some of them. But the ones that I get, they're ready. They're ready to hear a different, a different message. They're ready to try something different because you know what? The hamster wheel that we are on every day will kill us if we don't take care of ourselves. And I think more and more people, especially with this pandemic, there's been a huge awakening to what matters and our health and our happiness and our fulfillment mm -hmm. is, has really come to the surface. So I, I look at whoever I reach, I'm supposed to reach. And the ones that the ones that try it on are 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 meant to, and they're ready. I completely agree. You know that takes me back to the time when I just started energy healing. I was chasing friends and family, like, "Hey, I can heal you. Hey, I know you have this problem. Hey, let me heal you." And that's the stupidest thing to do ever. <laughs> they weren't ready. They were like, "Get away!" <laughs> yeah, and then you kind of feel stupid because then they put this wall saying that oh my God, Kim, please stay away, right? So <laughs> readiness is, is key, is absolutely key. And um, you were talking about, you know, when 
when the student is ready, the master does it right. That is so, so, so true. And oh my God, you know, when you said, Michelle, that yoga is changes your body, yoga even changes the mind because that is one of the amazing um, practices that, that automatically aligns the energy centers, the chakra system. So it is meditation in its, in, through fluid movements, right? Um, it is one of the best ways to remove energy blocks because of the way you're holding your breath, the way you're releasing your breath mm-hmm. in certain practices. I had learned yoga professionally a couple of years ago. And uh, I think that was one of the, I remember my teacher telling us that yoga is one of the only physical practices as an exercise, if you want to look at it, that massages your organs on the inside. I mean, you don't have any weightlifting or running. It doesn't massage your spleen or your kidney, but yoga through different movements, you're allowing your organs to get a little bit of a massage, a little bit of a stretch, a little bit of a detox, which never happens anywhere wow. else. Right? Wow. It is so fascinating. It is so fascinating. I think we could do an entire session on the benefits of yoga. <laughs> I'm a newbie. I'm a newbie, but I'm, I'm loving it. I can't do half the poses, Kim, but I do them. I do them to the best of my ability and I crave Savasana and it is the best experience every time I go. Yeah, I do a yoga nidra every night before sleeping. And then I do uh, my abundance meditation every night. So then when I sleep, I am in taking happily a quantum jump. So that's my secret to manifesting. Wow. (laughs) Okay, so we have to have a conversation about that. I need your help. (laughs) Totally, totally. That is one of the things, if I don't have time for meditation all day, my morning meditation has to be a shielding meditation. And my night meditation is always um, a quantum jump or I'm doing some deep karma plans or, if, you know, if it's, it's very easy to understand what to do when. So you're doing all the work and nothing's coming through. There are so many, you know, stops on the way. That is an indication that, hello, some karma needs to be cleansed because there's some energy block, something that you've done that's kind of blocked that passage so I'll spend the night and I do this if I don't have time right I'll put on the meditation start it and then go off to sleep with the meditation because guess what the subconscious mind is awake anyway so then it's going to do the work for you while your body rests and then on other days I do this uh, amazing you know visualization of what I want in the in the recent future, what I want in three to six months, what I want in one year, and then 10, 15 years. So I do that visualization, get into a quantum jump, and then I'm off to bed like like nobody's business, literally. I love it. I need to learn that. I need to do that. Because at night, I know the one thing I teach people is like, stop reflecting on everything that went bad start, start creating your day for tomorrow or or thinking or do a nighttime meditation to clear your head. Because a lot of people go lay in bed at night and they fester over things they can't change that happened in the day. And that doesn't work. So I love this idea of what you're sharing. I love it. Thank you. I will share it with you. In fact, I just had a course uh, that I released, I think in August or September, which was the five essential meditations if anyone is deciding to start meditation or they want to just dabble in it and say is it for me those are the five meditations that people should do right and i'll give you a quick run of it one is shielding 
And it's so simple, Michelle, but it's so important because there are so many meditations. But imagine, you know, stepping out of the house without shoes, without clothes. We wouldn't do that because we're like, hey, I've got to take care of my body, my feet. But we're walking around with an open aura wherever we go. Yeah. So every person that we pass, they have an open aura and they have fears, they have insecurities, they probably had a fight with someone at home, or they've had, you know, some stress, because their aura is open, that passes into my aura, and then I carry it back home, and then I dump it on my kid, and then I take the same aura to my bed. And if you're in a space or a country where there's, there are so many people, so imagine the, the you know, the emotions and the vibrations just happily roaming around. And because your aura is open, it's just absorbing stuff. Wow. It's like you get up and you decide, hey, today's going to be a good day. I did my morning routine, did everything. You go out, one conversation, and you're like, boom, that's it. You don't have the energy. Why? Yeah. Because your energy got drained. Your wow. energy got, got, I don't know, dirtied with everything else that happened on the way to work. Mm. And that is, you know, I keep telling even my clients, Michelle, that if you don't want to meditate, don't, but shield your energy. Shield your energy. You can't go and buy, you know, this liquid gold and then have holes in the bottle. Right. Because it's going to leak out, right? And that's what's happening with the energy. It's leaking out the whole day. So that is one of the first meditations I advise people that, you know, start with shielding because then whatever you're working with, whatever is yours, you're protecting it. You're not letting it come through. The second, and this is such a powerful meditation as well, is grounding where, Mm -hmm. you know, when we, we grew up saying stay grounded, which was almost as saying be humble, but grounding is, is more about, you know, placing your roots, placing your foundation nice and strong so that if something comes you know if that stimuli comes it's just a stimulus it's not it's not stress you have the ability to say okay stop right there a foot away from me let me assess let me preview and then decide what to do I don't want it hitting me so that happens through through you know setting a nice good foundation with the earth with with the energy of the earth Then comes the third meditation, which is the alignment meditation, where we all about, you know, um, aligning your chakra system, aligning your energy centers, because all of that, your energy centers are a reflection of where you are on the balance of certain prime emotions. Mm -hmm. So when you start aligning that, you've, you've set yourself in what I call the state of luck, but you're setting yourself in the state of luck every day. Then comes the fourth one, which, like I told you, I do it, you know, very often, is the karma cleanse. When everything's going well, you're aligned, but still nothing's happened. That simply means that there is some karma that you need to heal. You know, some we can be sitting here and I could have unintentionally hurt someone or intentionally hurt them. And every time they think of me, my energy is going to, to them. My energy is getting leaked to them. So unless and until that is not healed, it's always going to leak. So that's where the karma cleansing happens. And then finally, the quantum jump, you know, jumping into the frequency of abundance, which is says, which, which mainly is, you know, not saying that I will sit here and say, I attract abundance and abundance is going to happen, but specifically saying that, you know, I will raise myself to the energy of abundance and then access what's up there. 
I'm sorry, I have completely taken your podcast and made it my podcast. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh my gosh. I just, I just took notes. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. I have a lot to well, learn from you. Thank you. Likewise, likewise, Michelle. So coming back to you, um, tell, tell our listeners something that if they are in a workplace that may not yet exhibit compassion, what can be some good conversation starters? Mm, go first. Go first. Have the courage to go first and, and just talk about, talk about a celebrity. Talk, talk about mental health in, in the lens of uh, a celebrity's courage to speak about it. Find out what your company offers in terms of support and, and, and just share that. Did you know, did you know that we have like this service that's available? Um, but it takes someone to go first. It takes courage to go first, right? I mean, I witnessed at my former company, a grassroots effort within the company of employees speaking up first that kind of created the movement within the company. So never underestimate the power of a few employees coming together to openly talk about what they're struggling with and watching that grow into maybe an organic resource group. You don't know what's possible, but it does take courage and, and, some, and some courageous individuals to start the conversation and go first. Well, I like that. Go first. That's mm -hmm. beautiful. Because at the end of the day, we are responsible to, to at least call out for help, call out on behavior. That yeah. is our responsibility, truly. Yeah. Truly. So, 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 Michelle, for every leader that is listening or every business owner that is listening, what would you recommend that, you know, we imbibe as a practice so that we take on, you know, the work that you are doing, the work that people like yourself are bringing into the awareness within the workplace. Yes. What can leaders, even if they're of smaller groups, what yes. can they do today? Go first, especially leaders. It can cause a ripple effect when a senior leader in an organization has the courage to admit that maybe once in their life they struggled with anxiety or depression. When they talk about it, that is like throwing a pebble in a pond because it gives everyone permission to be human beings. So I just interviewed a gentleman who was a CEO of a company who did that very thing and caused almost like waves within the company of open conversation about it. And it's powerful. It gives employees something to talk about. It, it normalizes it. And and it really shows that you are a, a leader that doesn't want to have your people suffering in silence. You give people permission. So I would say, again, go first. Oh, my God. I love that. And especially, like you said, when a leader goes first, it is truly a ripple effect. Because, oh, yeah. then, you know, then allow, the allowance to be vulnerable is created. Yeah. You know, then that space, that, that place to be created is, is created. I want to ask you a question. And this could be, this could be especially from a mindset of, of leaders with massive groups. Where does one draw the guidelines, the foundation, mm -hmm. and yet the, the, the limits of how much is okay to discuss and how much of it should not affect work? Because sometimes very often people can, you know, uh, go ahead and 
allow their situation to be an excuse for not working. So where do, how can a manager, how can a team leader, how can a CEO manage that balance? Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, it's, I think we have to be really, um, we, first of all, there has to be trust, right? When someone has the courage to talk to you, that isn't going to come from left field. That's going to come because they feel, they feel a connection and a safe space to be vulnerable. We have to, we have to respect that. We have to honor that and respect that. And so it's, it's similar to the employee coming into the office with a broken leg and crutches. Are you going to look the other way? Or are you going to get them support? Are you going to get them a chair? Are you going to get them accommodations that work for them while they heal? Are you going to do that while they heal? So I, I think that we need to be thinking about how do we accommodate people where they are um, so that they don't feel bad about, about sharing with you where they are. So I think that's real. I think it's really important. And, you know, it says so much about a culture that accepts an individual when they share that think about the trepidation that goes into an employee, even opening up and sharing that, you know, that takes some real courage to, to honor themselves and say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. And, and puts their neck out there for, you know, being denied promotion, whatever they fear, all those fears go into this. So we really need to treat, you know, mental health challenges, just like a physical health issue and do our part to accommodate people and meet them where they are so they heal and that they get back to the person that they that they want to be that they know they can be and the contributor that you know that you can count on that is amazing that is really amazing especially that you said when someone has is coming in clutches you automatically shift the way you support them you automatically do that yeah well michelle thank you so much so much we still need to have a lot of conversations offline, but, uh, but thank you for today. Thank you for, you know, gracing Say More. Uh, I know probably what your answer is because you've already given us such amazing wisdom nuggets, but since it's Say More, what do you think people need to say more about? Oh, my goodness. I think they need to say more about themselves. I think vulnerability, we, we talk about it. Brene Brown has done a beautiful job of, of highlighting the importance of vulnerability, but say more about yourself because that really does create more of a connection with one another. And when, when one person says more about themselves, they're vulnerable and it creates an access for someone else to be vulnerable. And we can, we can be so much more harmonious when we're vulnerable. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Um, Michelle, once again, thanks a bunch. Um, please share where people can find you, where people can engage in the work that you're doing. Yes. Where can they connect with you? Yes. Um, you definitely want to follow me on LinkedIn, Michelle E. Dickinson. I have a bunch of free events coming up. You want to check those out. Um, you could also uh, go to careforyourpeople.com if you want to know more about my, my workplace mental health. Um, but I would say LinkedIn is probably the best place to connect with me. 
Awesome. Exactly where we've connected. Yeah. So once again, thank you very much. Guys, all the information is going to be in the show notes. You'll have the links to Michelle's LinkedIn as well as her website. And uh, stay happy, stay aligned, and say more today. This is Kim signing off until the next episode.